Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. A busy Thursday edition of the program. We will uh, bring in Nick Kiprios, discuss his take on the uh, Canucks, and also uh, after 5 o'clock, Harmon Dial of the Athletic Canucks off to a good start. How real is it? What we've seen that we've liked? And where are there still areas of concern? And that's uh, going to be an ongoing topic of conversation with this team, Sad, is mm-hmm. you know, sort of we talked about yesterday. You know, if you don't have a large sample, you're really picking at straws to kind of ex- extrapolate things that you like and things you don't like, and confirmation bias will play mm-hmm. a part in this. Bottom line is, you know, Canucks are 4-2, and two, off to a pretty good start through these first six games, and there are some encouraging signs. There are, right? And I think the way we kind of broke it down with Woodley yesterday was really good and, and how he was describing it, looking at some of the, uh, I'd say, more in-depth analytics he has access to with with uh, clear sites analytics. And it does kind of tell the tale that we've been kind of talking about and we know by somewhat some of the public data but just watching the games that the Canucks are still giving up you know quality chances based on the huge mistakes that they make here and there but generally speaking when you watch the eye test in terms of how they're playing the game supposed to be in the right position falling along in terms of their forecheck and puck support and back pressure we're seeing a lot of those things but a lot of it isn't really coming through in the numbers because the sample is so small game to game it can it can change so much so I'd say we have to take a step back in terms of overanalyzing the analytics so to speak and just give it a little bit of time to see what, what comes together there is a lot to be encouraged by the ultimate question always is, Dan, they're 4-2, and two, and how sustainable is it? And the reality is we won't really know until we get some more games played. Yeah, the 20-25 game mark, you need at least a decent sample to really start to hone in on, on what this team is doing well and where mm-hmm. they still need some work. Now, how are they having success uh, through these first six? Uh, well, they've leaned a lot on Philip Peronick and Quinn Hughes, as we know, and even... The other night against Nashville, you could throw Ian Cole into that conversation. He played over 23 minutes as well. Um, Today, Rick Tockett gave us a little bit of an insight into how he feels about how much those guys are playing right now. And we've heard this before from Tockett, but also we've also seen him lean quite a bit on his stars. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out moving forward. But here's what he had to say on potentially dialing back minutes for Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik. Well, I think the schedule has been, you know, we've had two days off a couple of times, so I think you're okay. But, you know, him and, you know, Philip Aronik's been playing a ton, 26, 27 minutes. So I, I'm not sure you can redline it every game like that. Um, but the way the schedule is, the way they've been, they've been taking it and their, their level of play, uh, it's hard not to get them out there. Um, but we're going to have to get some minutes off some of the other guys for sure. I mean, yeah, I think for them the next level is they, they, they just got to make sure some, get, some shifts they got to hit a single and they can't hit home runs. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, just giving the puck or dumping it in, wait, you know, wait for another shift. Uh, you know, sometimes um, they're so talented and they're so good, I think they want to make something happen every shift, and that's taxing. You know, um, 
So there's some times where I'd like them to just give the puck to the first guy and let them advance the puck instead of them. Um, but they do a great job. I, I just think they've got to manage their minutes a little bit as much as the coaches. They have to also. So there is uh, Rick Tockett on on managing some of the minutes of of Quinn Hughes and and Philip Peronic and I sort of like what he he mentioned there towards the end. Sat in uh, they they've got to manage themselves on the ice mm-hmm. a little bit because in reality, you know, top defensemen, especially in the the ilk of Quinn Hughes and and what we're seeing so far out of out of Philip Peronic. Like they they play twenty five minutes a night, you know. Uh, Kale McCarr led the team, led the league last year in average time on ice, and he played over twenty six minutes a night. Is anybody in Colorado saying like, nah, you know what? We'd rather play more minutes without Kale McCarr on the ice, right? Like these guys, to some level, they are equipped for it, but it you know, great players in 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 every sport, and I I've seen it a bunch in soccer. Like they know when to turn it on and when to. Mm-hmm reserve themselves a little bit and hit the single instead of the home run. I think that's part of the evolution that we're going to have to see from Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick to pace themselves through their 25, 27 minutes a night. Yeah, and, and I think the description the coach has is a little bit different from he's mentioned something similar in terms of, hey, when we're playing a game and if it's if we're we're down a couple of goals. Like we can't get it all back in one shift. We can't just hit a home run and we're back into the game. You, you don't have a three-run shot in, in hockey, right? You have to like kind of chip away at it, and you have to really follow um, the consistency of your game and not get away from it too much. And I don't think he means it in that sense where they're pressing and, and forcing things. It's more about it's early in the season. You may have the energy, but you literally can't be trying to score a goal every single time you're out there, right? And it's not that they're giving up anything defensively because they've been good defensively, but I think it's more about like you guys can't redline it as much as you have so far. But I also do think it comes from a place of ambition. And it seems like, Dan, it comes from a place where a lot of these star guys are taking big ownership to begin this campaign about how they want to practice. The coach was very happy with their practice today. He's them recently for how they're showing up and being prepared, being professional for their last game. I think if we're looking at something in the small picture here that that is encouraging is is how serious these leaders, these veteran players, and the stars in this team really seem to be. And Quinn Hughes is leading the way as well. Yeah, Quinn Hughes is uh, you know as as captain of the team, he's certainly had that feel about him. You know, his game on Saturday felt like one of those captain uh, come on my shoulders and I'm going to help us get a win here in Florida kind of games. And, you know, he's uh, like the the way Hughes and, and Hironic are playing. You know, one of the things Tockett mentioned there, like they're playing so well, it's hard not to go to them. And I just, I don't know when there's going to be so many nights where they don't feel that urge given what else they have in the defensive group now is Myers going to be playing 13 14 minutes a night every single night probably not you know uh he's he's probably going to get ticked back up to to 17 18 minutes and they probably want to bring Carson Soucy up and have him play a few more minutes as well but you know I think the the whole idea that Quinn Hughes is going to play far fewer minutes than he currently is I think I, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm just not buying it. Like at the end of the year, he's still going to be around 25, 26 minutes a night. 
I don't disagree with that. I think I think when they can start reeling some of that back is if they can build a bit of a cushion. And how much of a cushion can they truly build, right? We're talking about them, you know, being a team that could make the playoffs, right? And if you're a team, let's say in the ninety to high ninety point range, you don't have a lot of cushion, right? I mean, it's it's like two or three games of losing, two or three a two or three game losing streak at the end of the season that can push you out of being a mid ninety point team. So you don't really have a lot of time. I think the only way you can maybe peel some guys back is if you get a really nice cushion. You're a point your pace to be over 100 points and you'll feel really good about where you find yourself and i mean dare to dream right dan we'd love to see that i mean i don't think i'm I'm gonna sit here and say i wouldn't like to see it we'll see you know how likely or attainable that is for this team so i think that's something that could really back a bit is having more success and consistency as a team but i'm with you like i don't think we're gonna see their numbers come down significantly i would imagine philip heronik's not going to be playing averaging 27 minutes a game but i'm fully expecting to see quinn hughes at the end of the season to be at 24 minutes right maybe yeah. pushing 25 like i think 23 24 i know it's a lot but i don't even think it's that's ridiculous it's that ridiculous we always give credit to star uh top end d-men on other teams that can log big heavy minutes and if they can handle it then it shouldn't be an issue as long as you're not going well over the threshold and uh, that's sort of where this comes in right like heronic playing over 27 minutes the other night that's that's an unsustainable type of number but you know he's going to play quite a bit given the way that this D is constructed and it's it's actually been surprising that Hronik has ended up with more time on ice per game than Quinn Hughes to this point and I think a lot of that is PK too yeah right that 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 definitely plays a part and the Canucks have been on uh, the PK more than they've been on the power play so Mm -hmm. far this year so maybe that skews the numbers just a touch so Hronik and Hughes are playing together and it's working brilliantly, right? Six games so far, when they've played on the ice together at 5-on-5, five five, the Canucks have not allowed a goal. They've scored six. You don't need to be uh, in a NHL front office to understand that's very good. And those numbers are really promising for how good this pair can be. And leaving aside the, the conversation we had earlier this week, is it best to keep them together or spread those minutes out amongst the rest of your D, considering it's not that deep? This is working right now for this team. And the coaching staff clearly likes that it's working. And they trust it. They trust it more than anything else they have on the back end right now. But even without power play one minutes... Hronik is at four assists on the season already in these six games. The Canucks are crushing it. He's playing 25 minutes a night, more sometimes. And this guy needs a new contract. You know, how does that play into you know, how the Canucks want to set themselves up cap-wise along with, hey, like this guy's helping us win games, and that's ultimately what we wanted. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and ever since the Canucks acquired him, because the, the the initial kind of response we saw from a lot of Canucks fans was, or, or even people analyzing the team, saying the Canucks are in a position where the agent Alan Walsh knows they gave up a lot to acquire him. He is a righty defenseman, and they're desperate to have good demon on the team. I think those factors can play a part in contract negotiations. I don't know how much they can necessarily drive the price up when you look at the comparables, really, and. I just don't think that Philip Hironik, unless he has this, you know, monstrous season, we're talking about 50 plus points, right? And reach, you know, four points so far in six games. You're right. It looks very encouraging. And maybe he can, you know, actually crest 40 points for the first time in his career. And if that happens, right, maybe he does put himself into a different ballpark. But I don't see a world where he's going to sign for over 8 million. 
in Vancouver or even elsewhere, to be honest. Now, because a righty defenseman in the market, sure. But if you look at his numbers, comparing them to Damon Severson's, what did Damon Severson sign for? He signed a... Yeah, $50 million. And Mackenzie Weger, also similar. Now, a little bit older than where Hironik's at, and that could be an argument you know, to go his way. But we're talking $50 million for those guys over eight years. That comes in at 6.25. I agree he's going to get more on AAV, but it's a far cry for comparables to go from $50 million to $60-plus million. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I think if the Canucks want to sign him, it's going to cost somewhere between 6.5 to 7.5 per year. That's kind of the range I see it being in. And I wouldn't be surprised if it is just under $7 because that's kind of where the comparables are. Even Ryan Ellis, when he signed a contract, when he was you know, playing at a, at a high level, he signed for $50 million. You know, Cam Fowler signed uh, at the age of 26, signed for $52 million. You know, Jacob Truba signed a bit higher, but he signed seven years for $56 million. So I just don't know if Philip Peronik all of a sudden is going to be in a category where he's demanding or he being able to actually get eight plus eight or more. It's, um, you know, you mentioned David Severson, and just to give you a, a sense, percentage of the cap wise, Severson's number 7.58% of the cap. He's at six and a quarter for eight years, adding up to 50 total million dollars. So with the cap going up to 87 and a half, quick math, you know, you're, you're probably looking at 6.566 to have yeah. a direct comparable to Damon Severson for Philip Peronik's next contract. And I think that's, that's probably the ballpark. And you know what? For your top two defensemen to be paying, um, you know, Quinn Hughes under eight and then your next best defenseman, six and a half. So you're under 15 million for your top two defensemen. At the end of the day, that's not that bad. It's not. It's not that bad. Now, I, th- I think the it's biggest... It's actually pretty good. It's actually really good. I mean, it comes down to, though, is Philip Peronik a true number two or a number three? Yeah. And I think the way he's played, you can look at it and say, well, he looks like a you know number two defenseman. And I think that's part of where, where you can look at it and say... It can actually be a contract. He can outperform greatly if he signs it at that number. Or if he's a number three, then it's like, well, that's just the going price for a good defenseman. You're not really getting surplus value out of it, but you are getting value coming out of it. And I don't know if we're at a point yet where we can determine whether Philip Ronick is going to play at a number two level or number three level. When he's with Quinn, I mean, he's one of the best pairings in the league, so maybe it doesn't matter in that regard. But what is he truly in terms of impact on the ice? That's what we're still trying to find out. I guess. Um, and I think he's probably more of a second pair defenseman, uh, maybe a high end number three. I don't know if I ever viewed Philip Ronick as a top pair D man when he was in Detroit. So why would I necessarily think that uh, in, in Vancouver? But if his game can elevate when he's playing with Quinn Hughes, would be easily the best partner he's ever played with in the National mm-hmm. Hockey League. You know, maybe that is where we see the best version of Philip Hronik, and he can provide. You know, like, there's value in having a guy that just fits really well with your top defenseman too, and they complement each other. And we've talked about this with these two players through the course of the summer, through the course of the offseason, and the early returns are they do fit really well together, and we can see it growing from there. How much extra value do you get out of Philip Hronik in that scenario? 
And I think that's that's where it's at. Now, I'd say that I'm happy if a player I'm paying $7 million to is giving me $7 million worth of play because it's still a $7 million player, right? It's costing you, but I think you're fine with that. But it goes back to the journey of how many players can you find on this team that are going to be outperforming where they're at because they don't have a ton of ELCs or cheap players coming up. Yeah. A guy like Phil DiGiuseppe, of course, making seven what eight, 750 or 775 or whatever it is, that's a huge bargain. But we're not talking about a star player. Right, we're talking about a really good complimentary player who's who's coming in at a good freight. Like, where are you going to get those advantages from? Where where, where you don't want to be, and this is where I don't think it's going to end up being this way, is where you find yourself where the Oilers found themselves with Darnell Nurse. He was clearly their best defenseman, but was he truly number one? Is he truly that good? And now you're paying him nine point two five. Yeah, you know, and and I don't see that happening with Heronic. But that would be that. My only concern is. He gets a contract like they they surprise me, and we're talking about him getting eight times eight and a half or something along those lines, which would be a mag- magnificently huge contract, right? If that would were to happen, if that would happen, I'd be I would be really surprised, and I think it'd be hard for him to actually earn that contract and, and be really worth that for the longevity of it, because it's just he's not that he's a good player, but he's not an eight and a half million dollar guy. But internally too, when you have Quinn Hughes at a seven point eight five cap number, yeah, there's, there's there's just no way you can pay Philip Hronik more than Quinn Hughes. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Like I, I don't see Hronik playing at a level uh, that he uh, is able to get to something like that because a defenseman making over eight million dollars, they have to be quite clearly a top defenseman in the league and scoring a bunch of goals. I, I just I don't know if he's going to have the offensive production to justify. Uh, asking for more than $8 million and getting that contract from the Vancouver Canucks. But you know, the part of this that I think is is interesting, not doesn't really, um, you know, because Heronic, is it six and a half? Is it seven? Um, we'll end up seeing where that is. But the Canucks need to, like they need enough room that they can still add another top-end defenseman, like another guy mm-hmm. to this group where, okay, we've got three defensemen that we can truly rely on with this team, and that's you know the elusive player that they're still out there and looking for, another defenseman to really add to this group that makes you feel a lot more solid about what they're putting out on defense. Yeah, and it's going to take some time before you get Tom Willander stepping into the lineup, you know, and he's having a great start to his career in college. I was going to say, like, this guy, he's a couple of great games at Boston College, and Sat's like, yeah, put this guy in the first pair. He's ready. (laughs) I'm saying he's a couple of years away. I mean, he's had a great start, but he's still like a couple of years away, and maybe he expedites that slightly, but we're not going to know what he's truly going to be for at least another year or two, right? So up until that point... like you're, you're probably going to have to find an answer somewhere. And I do think it is instructive, again, that they were a team that was very interested in Damon Severson had he made it to free agency because of it would have been maybe hard to pull it off, but I think they were willing to maybe bite the bullet and, and perhaps do other things to to get a player of that caliber into your lineup. And he's imperfect in many ways, Damon Severson, and even already with Columbus, he's had a bit of a rough start. He was benched for the third period in a game. He's recovered since then, of course, but he's, he's a legitimate, you know, second pair righty defenseman, and they're very hard to find. And generally, those guys get paid, right? But for, so for, for me, like, even if you pay Heronic six and a half, I think that's that's fantastic. That's fine. Like that would be a good rate. But you're right. You want if you have the number lower and you have Tom Willander coming in on an entry level contract. Well, then do you have the space to go and add another player? And you're talking about in two years from now, two and a half years from now, 
do you have three defensemen you're paying a good rate to, and then you have a guy coming in on a three-year ELC that can also potentially be a top four defenseman, and that's how you can can really put together a strong top four. Yeah, and of course, you know Myers is coming off the books at the end of this year, and you know you're you're going to have that space. You're going to sign Philip Peronic, but beyond that, the only defensemen that are locked in with this group, uh, contract-wise, are Quinn Hughes. Uh, Hronik, we assume, and Carson Soucy, uh, who signed a three-year deal this past offseason. So it's part and parcel with how they are building this out, and I think that's mostly where uh, the Hronik the number kind of comes into question for me is how much money does it leave you to go get another guy, uh, assuming that you still need to bridge the gap between what you have right now and when Tom Willander is re- ready to take a pretty significant role on this team. I did want to get to this from Quinn Hughes um, earlier today at practice. And you mentioned this team being feeling more serious right now early on this season with the way they bounced back after the Philly game and how they went about their practice today. And there's a lot of good signs about how this team's mentality has shifted. I think the captain sort of spelled that out for us today when he spoke to media at the morning skate. Yeah, It does take off a little bit of pressure, but I think for us – you know, whether we went 2-4 and four or 4-2, four and two, just, you know, playing the right way and knowing that it's going to be consistent. And, um, you know, they weren't, you know, wins where we were, you know, giving up chances or, you know, we had to score seven goals or this or whatnot. So for us, you know, that's where the confidence comes in, I think. This team being uh, or not riding the waves in, in the way that they used to, getting too high on themselves, getting too low on themselves. And I think this is... A, a process that they're still going to have to fight with through the course of the year. I'm not saying you know they've completely fixed everything after one bad game in Philadelphia and how they've rebounded from it, but uh, I think it is encouraging that the the captain is sort of setting that tone. And we'll find out if it's just uh, you know words or if it's something that this team is is tangibly changed with their overall mentality. That's, I mean, it's, it's much like everything else. It's a bit of a boring answer. It's like, time will tell. But I think what, what is encouraging though, Dan, it's more about, it's easy to say that. And how many years have we heard them say similar things? Yeah. And then their actions don't back it up. Whether it's when you show up here, right? Whether it is how you handle things in training camp. And, and honestly, like, like last year, we mentioned on the show based on everything we had heard, Dan, right? What you had heard, what I had heard, being yep. around the team. It, very very bad vibes. There was a real concern. There was real issues with Boudreaux. It didn't look like it's going to work out. And you know, people thought we were, we're we're you know being alarmist early in the season or whatever. And it's like I get it, but like there's it's really off. The vibes this year are completely different. And it's not like you know all kumbaya. They're sitting there holding hands and everybody's happy and go lucky. But it's it's serious. It's more professional in terms of how they're a- approaching it. Based on what I've seen, based on the people I trust being around the team as well and everything we've seen so far, I'm willing to buy in that they are different. Now we're going to see, though, how far can your talent take you? How good can you be? Because all all we wanted to know was, how good can you guys be? And I don't even know how good you can be because I haven't seen you play serious yet. I haven't yeah. seen you be serious yet. I haven't seen you be professional at the level you need to be to give yourself the best chance possible to, yeah, be the best version of yourself because we never saw that as a team from these guys. And honestly, we don't know what that ceiling is going to be, right? How limited or how, how high it is. But I do know that if we get to see it, now we can finally get to judge the team. And I think this year will be our actual chance to see what these guys are made of. And I think it all starts with having a different demeanor. And the way they've played defensively is probably the most encouraging sign. You know, I I still wonder about what they 
or how they're going to generate more offensively because that is something that they're still working on. But defensively, there's been some very encouraging signs about the way they defend in their own end, uh, how they're taking fewer risks, giving up fewer odd man rushes coming back the other way against them. You know, these are the types of things that um, we've needed to see from this team for a long time. Small sample, but so far early returns are uh, encouraging. All right, uh, Nick Kiprios is going to join us. His take. You know, I, I, I recall Kipper uh, saying the, the Canucks had a, was it a country club atmosphere uh, uh, a while ago? We'll see if he uh, still thinks that uh, might be the case with the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, let's uh, do that next on Canuck Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. The Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am Silent Auction is live now. Help support Can by bidding on signed memorabilia, Canucks tickets, local getaways, spa and golf experiences, and more. The Canucks Autism Network provides valuable programs and services for children, youth, and adults on the autism spectrum. Auction closes October 30th. For more information on the auctions and event info, visit Can dot ca canucks back to action uh, tomorrow night their first back-to-backs of the season uh, as they'll have uh, st louis at home friday night st louis will be on the second half of a back-to-back and then the canucks will host the new york rangers on saturday with the rangers being the rested team on that night it's uh, it's been an interesting schedule it's not often you go on a road trip as long as the Canucks went on and have so many days off in between sat well I mean they haven't had uh any back-to-back situations or anything really to to press them up so when you look at the minutes that have been played and and how they've handled everything I think it can be mitigated and they've still got Casey DeSmith into two games as well so I think in terms of not only just handling um the minutes and they've been a bit higher, but the fact that your goalies are both feeling pretty fresh, I think it's been pretty good in terms of getting them started for the season. And I don't know if it's contributed to them winning four games, but it's obviously been a been a nice change from the years past. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. Uh, it is uh, Nick Kiprios from uh, Real Kipper and Born on Sports at Five Nine of the Fan, and you hear it uh, every day here at uh, two o'clock Monday through Friday, their network hour. Thanks for this, Kipper. How you doing? Good guys. How are you? Uh, we're uh, we're doing pretty well, yeah. It's uh, not quite the goalie controversy uh, that uh, Toronto's got going on right now here in <laughs> in Vancouver, but uh, it's been it's been really good for the Canucks so far. Uh, what what have you seen? What have you noticed uh, from Vancouver's end of things? Well, I, I, first of all, I, I think the buy-in on on Rick Tockett, and you know, if, if you just look at the way he's run his career, his life, what he believes in the philosophies, uh, the way he views the game. Um, I've known him for a long time. He's uh, an attention-to-detail type of guy. And right now I think there's a few guys on that in that lineup that can relate. Uh, you know, I look at Brock Spector and... Hey Kipper, we're gonna we're gonna have to get you on a new phone line. Uh, it's just uh, not working out uh, so well right now. So we'll uh, we'll reconnect with uh, with Nick Kiprios there. Uh, a little bit low coming in, um, but uh, you know I know um, 
there, there's a, there is a lot to like, and I think there's a lot of people around the league noticing what the Canucks have done so far because, uh, well, again, this goes back to Rick Tockett's reputation. I haven't really talked to anybody that, that doesn't have good thoughts on uh, what Rick Tockett can do with this team. Well, I mean, we had uh, Brad May on uh, yeah. yesterday, and Brad was talking. I mean, he couldn't say enough good things about um, Rick Tockett. I mean, considering it's a guy he fought four times, you'd imagine maybe he'd, he'd have one or two poor things to say about him, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, let's bring uh, Nick Kiprios back into the conversation. Yeah, sorry about that, Kipper. We just... Uh... Oh, no, no, no problem. Sorry about that as well. Um, just, to, just to finish my thought, uh, the, the, one, the one thing I do see that's, that's different, obviously, is, is the Rick Tockett factor and the attention to detail that he has. And we know how important uh, doing the little things that doesn't necessarily show up, you know, on a score sheet. We're going to have to reconnect once again. Sorry, Kipper. It's, uh, it's really not working. Um, hard to, hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. It just keeps like, it's like it's changing formats on its own or something. Yeah. Phone a uh, little bit wonky there, but, uh, we'll, we'll do our best to, to figure it out. Um, I, I did actually, I, uh, I do want to kind of get, uh, Kipper's take because you know it was I think it was still the first year of, of Rutherford's tenure in in Vancouver when uh you know Kipper on another radio show talked about how Rutherford's kind of assessed the the culture and it wasn't exactly uh anything that he liked with the Vancouver Canucks and that's the process that they're still trying to uh overcome right now well there was a reputation um and people would say it uh, you know with some snide remarks that it's a country club atmosphere. That was kind of how some people felt about it or how they, they, they would describe it. You'd always get pushback though from, you know, a lot of people in the, in the team, they'd be like, no, it's not quite like that or whatever it is. But it's one of those things that we talked about accountability and when the accountability isn't there consistently and the players aren't playing are playing like there isn't accountability and not performing. Well, then it's, it's not unfair to question those things. It's not. And uh, things feel different right now, you know, especially the way they responded to that Philadelphia game. And it seemed as much as Tockett was upset, um, a lot of the players after that night were like, it's okay. We're, we're still confident. We're okay. You know, uh, it, may, it felt maybe overconfident at the time, but, you know, they've, they've backed it up with the way that they've responded since then, Sat. And, you know, you're you're looking for every early uh, early sign that things are changing with this team, but that's potentially where where we feel one is. Yeah, and and I mean, when you don't get, it's like we had the discussion before. If you don't give yourself a chance, then what's going to happen, right? Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. It's like you have to at least give yourself a chance to be successful. And oftentimes with this team, and it goes back to the discussion even about Elias Pettersson in terms of like, are you guys focused on winning? Because if you're focused on winning, like these little things don't happen. Like you you make sure that everything you're doing as an organization is fostering stability. And I know Alvin himself also said, like we want, we want this organization to be safe for the players. And I think what he meant by that was like you come in feeling like you don't need to worry about anything else. And for, for too long, people have been worried about of other things as well. So it goes both ways. The organization has to 
be in a position where they're not causing issues unnecessarily, right? And also the players have to make sure that if that's the case, then I have to do everything humanly possible to make sure that we're going to be successful this season. And if we're not good enough, then we're not good enough. But yeah. at least let that be the answer, not that you didn't do everything you could. Uh, let's bring Kipper back into this uh, conversation. Sorry, Kipper, uh, but we were just uh, actually, while we were waiting to get you back on here, we were, we were talking about the uh, the country club atmosphere comment you had about uh, the Canucks from uh, a couple of years ago and, and Jim Rutherford. <laughs> I did. Yeah. How do you remember this stuff? Oh, man. Kipper, you think we, were, we forget anything in Vancouver? Come on. Wow. Yeah. Um, but um, it, it anything feels... Anything but with Rick Tockett, though. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, that's kind of the way it feels. It feels like it's changed quite significantly around Vancouver. Well, again, you know, when you talked about the attention to detail and doing the little things that don't show up on the, the, in the headlines, I mean, this guy, he, he can relate from fourth liners to goal scores. What, you know, he's almost a 50-goal scorer one season. Um, he's played all the, all the type of roles. It's like you can't, as a player, you, you have conversations with him, and you can't fool him. So, you know, when, once you're past that, then – you know, you got to start buying in big time to this guy, and it just it just appears to me that uh, you know some there's some nights it won't be there, and we've already heard Rick call them out a little bit on it. But for the most part, if you just show up and and try your best, it might not always work out, but there's a better chance that uh, you're going to get a ton ton more respect out of your coach. And I and I think you know there was a big re- there, it was a there was a clear reason why they wanted Rick Tockett specifically to be the coach. And obviously a lot of it was, yes, um, the familiarity, they believe in him as a head coach, but also the type of hand they thought this group needed. And Kipper, like what you mentioned, I don't think it was anything unfair. And it's not nothing that wasn't being talked about quite a bit in hockey circles by people not in this organization, other executives. Like the Canucks and their core have often kind of been looked at as a talented core, but one that may not be serious enough about winning. Well, and, you know, once you get a guy in that's experienced Stanley Cups behind the bench or on the ice, and, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, Jimmy Rutherford is a lot more comfortable today than he was this time last year. I mean, how many press conferences did he have trying to explain what was going on? Those seem to be behind them now. Uh, JT Miller's uh, locked in right now, and, uh, seems to be settled in as one of the two faces up front with uh with Pedersen you got Quinn Hughes now who is on the ice for a lot more goals than he is against and uh the leader and the captain and in many ways still uh you know the face with Petey and it, it just seems to be a, a lot better feel than than 12 months ago and uh you know does it does it mean that they're going to make the playoffs no but does it mean that it's a lot more fun to watch and cover this team. Absolutely. You know, a lot of the focus was uh, on Quinn Hughes this week and uh, how he's been, uh, I guess, shamed in some of the uh, rankings that have been going on around ESPN and the athletic and different places like that. But I actually think you, know, you mentioned JT Miller. I, I feel JT Miller is the guy that's criminally underrated around the league as a, as a power forward type. Everybody says he can't play center. Looks pretty good through the middle for me. Uh, what do you see in JT Miller? Yeah. Listen, uh, it just seems sometimes he can get in his own way sometimes, but as far as a, a talent, as far as bringing maybe a, a complete game and finding different ways to beat you, uh, they're far and few. 
And I, I mean, I, I can certainly see why he was such an attractive player, uh, either to the Canucks or any other team that at the time may have tried to trade for him. Uh, ultimately, they made the decision, you know, Bo Horvat out, you know, JT in the $8 million, but uh, no one's squawking at $8 million for JT Miller today. And I don't think that they will for some, for some quite time. Uh, he seems to be comfortable, locked in, one of the leaders, one of the core guys. And uh, most often than not, he can beat you with a pass or a shot. You know, sometimes, yeah, maybe he can he, he can be a little bit uh, loud when he shouldn't be, but uh, that's all sort of working itself out for him in, in Vancouver. And right now it's just uh, it, it's nice to see him settled in right now as a, a key guy. I mean, it's always early, right? And, you know, JT's under contract for six more years beyond this. Bull Horvat started an eight-year contract with the New York Islanders. I'd, I'd say, though, like it's a small sample, and if JT can continue doing this, it would make sense why they felt like this was the player they would have rather kept over Bo. Now, I do think Bo also had better value, and that also played a part into making a trade and getting more in return and making a switch, but... If he continues playing this way, it starts making more sense from people that didn't like this trade. I mean, they, you still can hate the trade. It's fine. People can have an opinion. But it makes may make more sense when you see JT play this way, why they felt better with him being the, the guy they wanted to pay as opposed to Bo. Yeah. It, time, time will tell for You know, we know Horvat's a, a good player. Um, you know, where does that fall in as, as being a... Uh, a top score or, uh, you know, just one of those guys, like, I'm still not sure if, you know, Bo, Bo Horvat's the type of guy that can, can lead a team to a Stanley cup as a number one center, or would he be better situated, you know, being behind someone in, in the second slot. Um, but I don't think anybody can sit there and wonder about JT Miller's ability to make plays or finish or, or be a, a legitimate, you know, number one guy on, on the top line. And, uh, you know, there just seems to be a good a good finish right now in terms of uh, watching him consistently. And at the time, guys, listen, I mean, I, I mean, I watch a lot of hockey. You guys watch a lot of hockey. Definitively, you know, when we're going through that, that, that stage of, you know, do you keep Brock Besser? Do you get rid of Jim? Miller, it waffled back and forth. But, you know, here we are today. Uh, I don't think anybody will, you know, wonder if they made the right decision or, you know, they, it doesn't certainly look like they made the wrong decision. Let me put it that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's played out well so far. And, and as far as this team goes, um, I think there's there's still a lot of work for, for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin to, to do. But given Jim Rutherford's track record and the the wheeler and dealer he's been, and Patrick Alvine always seems to be making trades as well, I feel like the Canucks are probably on the watch to to maybe be a team that makes another significant addition this year, like they did last year with Philip Peronic. What do you think? Well, they're trying, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, when you're in that sweet spot, and right now it, it's it's looking good for Brock Besser. But I don't. Long term, is he still going to stick around? Yeah. Um, that remains to be seen. We know Garland's had permission to go and find a deal, and 
they want to get his 4.9 off the books. Uh, then you also got that that sweet spot where you know Anthony Villiers at what four one, you know, and let's be honest, uh, not you giving know, you enough not, right now. They're not zero, like yeah. nothing uh, in in the first six games. So you know they're questioning that four point one million. So you know they're 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 looking they're they're looking to to make some some changes and you know continue to get the the culture if you want to use that 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 term um turned around still and uh yeah they they know they have a, a lot of work to go but at least when guys show up to work every night uh you know for the most part you think you're going to get a good effort and uh mm-hmm. it, it can buy jimmy rutherford some time to uh to make the right decision moving forward well, and you know, and I think that's the the interesting part too. It buys him time not to rush anything, but also still be open for things to happen. And the better they play, and the better a guy like Brock Besser plays, the more opportunities he may have in the trade market to do things. And the impression I get, and I'd love to get your thoughts here, Kipper, is that even if this team is in a playoff spot, they're not going to be afraid of, of making moves and shaking things up. It's clear who, who they're keeping, right? Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, and Kuzmenko and these guys are guys they are keeping. But I don't think they're going to be afraid of, of making moves, even if they're in a playoff spot by the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I get that sense, too. And, uh, you know, they, they, they know that they need some help on the back end for sure and in a perfect world they'd love to shop for uh, a guy that has some stability with Quinn um, but he may not be out there um, but I, I think it's I think it's more realistic that they're thinking about uh, 12 to 18 months than they are uh, you know 4 to 8 or 4 to 10 and you just you can't force anything and you can't go get something that isn't out there uh, but if it opens up, if it presents itself, uh, you know, and and they are in a position of strength with the play of Besser, uh, it can only help them to think that, uh, you know, they may not have to retain as much money as they first thought on a, on a trade if Besser's included, and uh, it'll come from a, again a, a position of strength. Who's uh, who's the panic button on more for you the, so far this season, Calgary or Edmonton? Yeah, good question. Um, Calgary can't claim they've got the best hockey player on the planet on their roster, so I'll go with Edmonton. <laughs> well, and also like Nikita Zadorov calling out some some teammates this early in the season. You don't you don't see that too often uh, from. It feels like they they thought all their their room problems were going to go away as soon as Daryl Sutter was out of there, but it seems like they haven't fixed everything yet. No, no, and. Your first thought, you only have two thoughts when you hear Zadorov, and that's like, how dare you, or uh, <laughs> he may be right. So yeah, with, with, with a lack of success, I think there's a better chance that he may be right than uh, how dare you say that. Uh, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's some issues in Calgary for sure, and, and one of them is that they're not getting the production out of uh, high-end players. And, you know, Kadri, I think he's got one helper, uh, you know, to start the season, and that's not good when you're the second highest paid player uh, on the team. So he's got to turn that around. And you know, Jonathan Huberto is a guy that uh, once again the spotlight's on in Calgary. And you know, exactly like you mentioned, you know, Jonathan Huberto looks over his shoulder. He doesn't see Daryl anymore. So you know that that excuse is gone. And uh, you got to find a way to 
to earn your 10.5 million bucks. People expect a lot out of you uh, when you're one of the highest paid players in the National Hockey League. So no one's saying that he has to come up with 115 points like he did in Florida, but he's got to do a lot better than the 50-plus that he had last season. I know Edmonton, you know, obviously they had a lot of success last year, Kipper, and, you know, McDavid's out right now. He's coming back. But what's the level of patience going to be like with that team this year, heading up to the trade deadline with their coach and everything? Like, it seems like this is a really big year for them. Oh, no, for sure. There's a ton of pressure uh, on, on Jay Woodcroft and that coaching staff and the the lineup to, to, to get this team to where many people be- – believe that they could get to and that's a Stanley Cup final and two of the best prolific scorers in our modern day history right now and in, in McDavid you know and, and Leon and uh, you can't you can't find excuses now to to not think that you you can get there and right now they've got excuses uh, are they good excuses maybe I mean is the, is the is that blue line as bad as it's portrayed? Is the goaltending as bad as it's portrayed? And they, Jack Campbell okay in Minnesota going into the third period, and then the wheels fall off. Like it's one thing to sit there and say you got McDavid and Drysaddle, and it's another one to uh, to say that uh, you know that's going to be enough again, uh, and it's not even at home, you know cleared to play what a week ago doesn't appear to be enough uh for that back end uh good player in evan bouchard but right now i i watched him the other night and i'm i'm questioning if he can play five on five hockey in the nhl and maybe it's a lack of confidence and he's got to work that out but right now he's struggling mightily yeah, good in the offensive end, uh, not doing much on the defensive end of the ice right now, Evan Bouchard. Uh, before I let you go, Kipper, uh, big, the big story today was on Shane Pinto and the 41-game the suspension. Um, details are uh, are at a premium here. The, the NHL did not get specific at all in, in exactly what the infraction was. It's mostly just seems like Gary Bettman is throwing the hammer down and wanting to make sure Nobody around, like everybody around the league, noticed, and nobody steps steps the wrong way uh, after what they saw with Shane Pinto today. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I would have loved a lot more detail, and yeah. you know, with with detail, guys, comes more education on on what to do and what not to do. And mm-hmm. if you made my mistake, don't make the same mistake. But it's just this this kind of these vague comments and I, I i get it i mean you don't think that he bet on hockey and that's a really good thing because that probably would turn into a lifetime ban but you know outside of that uh you know we don't know necessarily when the the investigation started and my my you know my info suggests that this was last season uh it appears that uh you know, they're kind of taking the NFL policy, which states that you can bet on sports, but you can't ever bet on, uh, on on team facilities. So we think at some point Pinto was betting on sports from the arena. Um, but like, we're only guessing here. We're only we're only going on hearsay. We're only going on speculation. It would have been nice 
for them again to have a little bit more detail and possibly you know educate other players and you know give give the paying customer you know some some clarity on all of this it just seems still too many loose ends for people to speculate or or uh, come to their own conclusion uh kipper really appreciate the time thanks for this okay guys have a great night uh there is uh nick kiprios uh joining us here on uh, on canuck central and that's uh really been the big story today we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more later on uh, but uh, the lack of detail on uh, on shane pinto's suspension is that's become the story sat first the suspension was the story but now the the lack of detail has led to led to speculation from around people in the hockey world and that's become more of the story than shane pinto's 41 game suspension well, and, and that's the thing, right? And I, I think that's that's what always be, happens when you don't have enough information. Now, Elliot, in his latest piece, said, according to multiple sources, one of the major issues leading to Pinto's penalty was along the lines of proxy betting, where another individual or individuals have access to a legal account in his name. Companies like FanDuel specifically banned this practice. The state of New Jersey fined DraftKings 150 k in March 2022 for allowing large and illegal proxy bets. And it's not uncommon for pro athletes to have legal accounts, which are heavily monitored by the online site which they sign up with. So there's more in Elliot's piece. You can always read it on sportsnet.ca. But it's clear that it seems to be somebody using his account, but that's not allowed. So we're seeing a bit more info come out, but it obviously took a little while and it took a lot of prodding and questioning for it to get to that point. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Coming up, Harmon Dial of The Athletic on the Canucks and where they go from here. That's coming up on Canucks Central.